Welcome to Cooper Talk. I'm your host, Steve Cooper. And remember, I'm only as hip as my guests. And I have to tell you something. I uh, I got good sleep last night, but I've been sleeping really crappily lately. And I, I think I figured out why. The lovely Joanne opened up the bed. We have a big sliding glass door in our bedroom upstairs. And she opened that up. And I've never, I used to always keep it closed. And I've never noticed this, but Burbank has a crap load of trains that go through the city at like two. I don't know if it's something new. I don't know if Amtrak's expanding their base, but it's like every night at like three in the morning, I hear the corn and I shouldn't because it's like six blocks away. But I hear that and it wakes me up. And then when I finally get back, start getting back to sleep, her family either texts from back east at like seven in the morning or if it's before that I don't know what it is but I thought owls were the only birds that's supposed to be out at night but for some reason there's birds chirping outside my window and it's dark out and I don't get if they're like nocturnal birds I don't know this I'm not a botanist I don't even, is, that, is that the term botanist <laughs> no. I don't even know I, it's just it pisses me up but finally last night I actually I woke up at six <laughs> I went to the gym at quarter of seven, which I'm going to do from now on because no one's in there. And usually I go at eight, but oh my, it's amazing because I'm on these, there's five bikes that, you know, I like to use and three of them, the TVs don't work. So I finally got the two. So, <laughs> I have a great guest. How you doing, Amy? Hi, good. How are you, my, Steve? My guest is Amy Peets and uh, I'm glad you could come on. I am too. I don't live too far from here and you're a cool guy. I'm glad to be here. Well, it's weird. <laughs> it's weird how I... I I found you, which because uh, yeah, how did that happen? Okay, well, because I always get you know people I remember when I watch TV and you know or I get like let's say like Peter Honorati, the actor was on. I go through his friends list. I'm like, all right, well Bob Clendenden, who was on oh Caroline in the City, was oh, on. He's so the greatest, he's the great nicest nicest guy. And me and Bob were talking, and we became friends on Facebook. And so then I sat there and I went, wow. I, I went through his list and I went, I remember her. And then you probably know Kathy Ladman. Uh, yeah, absolutely. Kathy was, was on the show. I mean, God, when I first the show's about three and a half years old about two and a half years ago Kathy was on and I and I forgot she was on the series but when I posted a picture on Facebook my one friend who knows every show is like I loved her so I was going through and I said oh my god I remember her so I, I hit you up and you were kind enough to get back to me well it's really fun you know you've been in this business long enough and everybody you eventually work with everyone and our friends or friends of friends with everyone and I'm finding that the longer I'm doing this the more enjoyable it's become coming it's it's really fun to I guess there's also right a, a camaraderie because there are people yeah. that have been around and I've gotten that like when uh and just weird how like I get guests from actors you know like uh Maggie Wheeler was on so then she got me Annabelle Gerwich and everyone knows Kathleen Wilhoit I, mean, I know all of those women knows, yeah and they're all great and, they're the, great. and the thing is you guys have so many stories and that's what's the good thing is I mean you get someone a real young actor they, they weren't around I mean it's it's you guys were around I mean you're still around but you were like stars you still are, you know, you still work, but you, when TV meant something, it was like, now it's like such a, sometimes a vast wasteland with, you know, the reality, but. Yeah, so much product out yeah, there. Yeah, but back when, you know, like Caroline and the City and stuff, it was like, if you were on a show like that, everyone recognized, I mean, it's like, it's like, you know, it's crazy. Yeah, yeah, there was a brief period of time there in the 90s when Caroline and the City was the number two show in the nation, and, you know, I, I had gone back home as a, I think I was 24, 25, something like that. No, I was 25, 26. And, you know, it was like people clawing at me and I couldn't go out in public. And it was very scary. Not only was it culture shock to uh, go from Milwaukee, Wisconsin to Los Angeles, California, then to go from being a waitress and living below the poverty line to suddenly paying off my student loans and and being in sunny California and Hollywood on film sets and TV sets. It was 
and talk shows and fans and it was it was a trip um and luckily i i hit the sweet spot of everybody leaves me alone in public and they all think they went to high school with me or some of them recognize me on television but i can have a life i can have a life and i can work and that's important. Now, you're from Milwaukee, as you said. Yeah. Now, as a kid, I know, I believe, I mean, because you read Wikipedia, and, you know, if people don't have a website, you know, really. Read I know, that, I it's, don't it's have much of a social media presence. It's, it's fine, though, because, you know, you know, I mean, it's, in all honesty, I tweet a lot, because I just, I write jokes, and it gets keeps me sharp. But if, if you know, if you're not, if you're not someone who's tweeting jokes, I, I sometimes they see no reason for Twitter. I, I know, I agree too. And plus, I always crack up on Facebook. People say, follow me on Twitter. But it's like, well, my Facebook and Twitter are hooked up. So when I tweet, it goes to my Facebook. I don't. I barely even know how it works. My poor husband is constantly frustrated with That's me. Funny. He's like, you got to get Twitter followers. Again. I'm like, I don't even think of tweeting. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's crazy. So Milwaukee, now, what I got from your background, you, you were a dancer when you were younger, right? When I was younger, I, I was incredibly interested introverted and didn't really even talk to anyone until I was about 12 years old but I always wanted to perform and um, I started ballet at four and thought maybe I'd be a professional ballet dancer but you know really working class to lower class uh, parents who could not afford toe shoes let alone all the lessons and so in junior high I ended up have been so blessed with uh, a teacher who made me speak in class and cast me in his play. And the first time I ever went on stage, I knew I'd be an actor for the rest of my life. It was one of those moments. See, that's cool. Now, what what, what do you think drew you to the uh, being the ballet when you were younger, though? Was there a certain thing? Because you said, you know, blue collar or whatever. It's like for me, you know, my parents were, you know, I mean, I was, when I decided to do comedy, I graduated college. And we were like, what are you doing? You know, you're supposed to go into business. You know, and, and I've noticed that's a lot, of, a lot of Indian comics I talk to. They're like, what? You're not going to be a doctor or an engineer. What are you doing? It's just what did your parents do? My mom was a market research manager. My mom was one of the first female yuppies. Oh, wow. And then my father owned a family business, but then it went under. So he just, he was a comptroller for a company. But Well, I bet you have a few comedians. Comedians in your genetic makeup. I bet there's an I, aunt and her uncle in there somewhere. <laughs> yeah, my, well, my aunt, my aunt was just my aunt Ruth. I always just crack up. I used to have a Fiero back when they came out, and she would tell all her friends, "Oh my, my, I'm her favorite nephew." Except <laughs> when my brother, who's like six two and gorgeous, was around. And then my older brother Tom was her favorite nephew. But she would always say, "Oh my, my nephew Stephen, he drives a, a Ferrari." So I meet these people. They go, "You drive a?" Ferrari? I'm like, "No, Fiero." <laughs> I'm like, and then you can just see their face, like, "Oh God, get this, get this 21 year old out of here," you know. But so, so you, but you got into ballet. Did you, why did you see it at some time ballet when you were little, or you just decided this? Is I just else? I spent a lot of time when I was you know four and five and six and seven. I spent a lot of time playing by myself. My two brothers were much older than me, and I'm adopted, and I share absolutely zero in common with the family that adopted okay. me. They're um, you know. I, I, I later found my birth parents and they're actors and singers and performers and so, so it was in it's the genetic. Okay. Yeah, it's genetic. I, I just was incredibly creative. I was playing the piano by myself and dancing a lot and, and uh, storytelling and playing pretend and constantly moving my body around okay. and I had a natural proclivity for it so I studied dance. So you did the play when you were, and you were hooked when you were in 8th grade you said you Yeah, it was, it was like a, if there's such a thing as divine intervention it was like it was literally like a lightning bolt. So yeah. where do you go from there? Because you know in I don't know in your, what your town was a big town or small town but I don't 
think small when town. I, when I think especially small town Wisconsin, I don't think theater department in, in a high school. So no. what, it must be fr- well, it must be frustrating because you're in eighth grade, and and back then, you know, because we're a little older, we we're over forty, and you know, back then there wasn't like in my high school, we had a great theater department. It's great now, but there was no one really doing it. It was like, in all honesty, it was the guys in leg warmers, yeah, and it was the girls who were the the over like the you know like I mean it's, it's over extroverted yeah, yeah. Like, hey this is dead like they're, yeah. they're speaking musicals like hey um, Lisa like they would do that <laughs> so for you it must have been very weird because you probably didn't have a lot of peers that were in what you were interested in well this this mentor this teacher of mine who was an English and social studies teacher history teacher and the basketball coach he was also the drama teacher and he's from New York he's Jewish he's like five six uh, looked stuck out like a sore thumb in farm-fed, three hundred pound Oak Creek, Wisconsin. <laughs> how do you how do you get up there? That's just he so got, I know he came from New York and he had a love of the theater and he infused this. Pa- he was so passionate. It's almost so like physical. waiting for Guffman. It was. It's, I mean, waiting for Guffman, but but he wasn't. Um, like he wasn't like that weird. Like the he weird... had great taste. Okay, you know he wore funky glasses and he had fashion sense and he he was just an all a Renaissance man and fabulous teacher. So okay. all the students were really drawn to him. I think the teachers he was working with. He was he was definitely um, not a favorite amongst his peers, but the students loved him and he he was able to get me to come out of my shell and even later in life he performed my first wedding ceremony we remain friends to this day um he he is the reason why i became an actor see that's so cool it's great that someone made a difference and i I have that with a teacher i went dr dwyer was my english teacher and you know i i write comedy and he always said you know i mean i wrote a paper about wedgies (laughs) and he didn't and i went to a very good school i mean i mean i was an okay student and but if if you, we had so many national merit scholars and people oh. who, I mean, I went to my 30th reunion and everyone thought I was cool because I live in LA. I'm like, hey, you guys are all cool because you're millionaires and right. you're doctors <laughs> and you're lawyers. And you, I know you're still in New Cherry Hill, New Jersey, but you live in mansions. But as a teacher, he always encouraged, you know, to write that. And that's, that's cool. Yeah. So you got, you get done high school. Yeah. And then you go. Well, like I, I, he inspired me to, to, um, to be an actor. I knew I was going to be an actor. He encouraged me to, um, not stay in my hometown, but to get out, go to New York or L.A. or Chicago. And so in high school, I went to an arts high school in Milwaukee. Um, so that was the full-on transition, you know, two hours of dance, two hours of music, two hours of acting. Um, and what, did you, what did you enjoy of all the three, like when you're doing it? I mean, it seems, because you have the background, you said when you were a ballerina, but yeah. what did class would you look forward to the most of those three? Acting, for sure. Okay. Um, and, and, you know, it was it was also a great school, the Milwaukee High School of the Arts. Um it was the first time I was around minorities and people of varying incomes and ethnicities and religions, and it really opened my mind there. And and then um, it was hard to choose after that if I would go into musical theater and study that uh, at a musical theater conservatory or just study straight acting. And I remember agonizing very much over that. Um, and I decided to go to an acting conservatory at DePaul, the theater school at DePaul University. I'm so glad I made that choice. It's so funny because I know, and I've talked to other guests about DePaul. And for me, though, growing up as a kid, and even as, you always thought DePaul was basketball and, and Ray Meyer. Yeah, Blue and, Demons, yeah. Yeah, and when, but when someone said it was this huge acting school, it threw me off because I just, I don't know what, I just I always thought of it as like a basketball school in in, in Chicago. Yeah, they had a great conservatory. They still do. And um, they've just built, I'm still on the alumni, uh, the alum 
alumni uh, group and I have a scholarship set up at the school. I'm as active as I can be, long distance, big supporter. Um, go to see the brand new students in their showcases when they come to L.A. And I couldn't have gotten through that school without their scholarships and um, without a lot of help from a lot of people. Now, was there a big audition process for the school? Yeah, they, they have a pretty intense, uh, they're part of the the league of theaters and you know there are many other conservatory uh schools that audition with them uh you know people meet at the palmer house in chicago and then they'll have a an audition in new york um and so it's highly competitive they also have a cut program where after your first year and your second year they will reevaluate uh whether or not they think you fit the the school and whether or not you're growing as an artist and you may get cut that sucks that must be scary too because you scary. think you, you have yeah. the money and it's like you're already doing something that there's no certainty in acting but and i guess it prepares you for it but then it's like and now i just think well who is this school to say you're not good enough? Yeah, you it's know, like, it's really provocative because on the one hand, they could be doing the student a huge favor by um, preventing them from wasting two more years worth of tuition on perhaps something that it, that really isn't going to uh, be a great pr- choice of a profession for them. But more often than not... Um, you know, I, I've seen students who get cut go on to have great careers after that. It just fires them up even more. Sometimes it can be emotionally um, really debilitating. And there are nervous breakdowns I've seen happen after students have gotten cut. It depends on your makeup, you know. And there's so many elements that make for a successful career in the arts. Um, persistence and determination. you got to have a lot of emotional strength. You really have to believe in yourself when no one else does and it can be a very lonely experience in an audition it can be a very it's like you're jumping out of an airplane every time it is so what you get out of school now and which has also been brought to a lot of attention there was a lot of stuff getting shot in chicago i didn't know that like a lot like john capelos was talking like all this work he was getting in chicago yeah when you got out of chicago did you flee to la or did you stay in chicago and try to get some of that work because i only stayed in chicago for one year started a theater company called the eclipse theater company which i believe is still in existence right now and um and then came out for pilot season. I, I was cleaning houses. I was waiting tables. Um, and one of the women at a restaurant that I worked at was kind enough to fund my first pilot season out here and help me buy headshots. What restaurant? Was it out in L.A.? No, Chicago. Okay, Gordon Restaurant, okay. uh, which I was having dreams about that restaurant for about 10 years after I stopped working so you, you waited tables. I, I waited tables, and I was in restaurant marketing. Do you ever still have that dream that you're waiting <gasps> tables? Is that the weird? It's I had that the, the other worst. night. It's oh. like you sit there and people if you don't know you if you've never waited at a table you don't oh know but it's a dream you sit there and and i don't i'm not going to wait tables but all of a sudden i think okay i've lost everything i have to go back to waiting tables and you have this dream and it's like everyone keeps coming in and you get someone soup and then a party of four gets sat right. down it's and the it's epitome your, of anxiety and dream you wake yeah. up and you're overwhelmed yeah. so I, I think every service had that and people who don't it's it's a nightmare yeah it is it's 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 a living nightmare to wait tables and uh, i failed miserably when i was 16 and tried to do it i had no multitasking <laughs> skills <laughs> i think i lied and said i was 18 to get that job um I also worked at Goose Island Brewery, which was a great place in Chicago that supported artists. They now have a music festival in Chicago that they host, and you can buy their beer here in L.A. They're, they were amazing business owners that supported 
all the actors that worked there and they still do that's so cool. it's you know you can't do this without help people paying loaning me money people um, allowing me to get out of work for auditions uh, teachers helping me to get the confidence um, and and just great friends you know so you came to pilot season mm-hmm. okay now have you been to LA before no okay so how long did you plan just to come out for like a month or two I had planned to rent a rent a rec car um, I found uh, through another waitress at uh, Goose Island uh, I was allowed to stay with her mother and pay her rent to live in her guest room and this was pre-internet so there was facts things faxed to you if you were lucky and I, I didn't have that <laughs> I tell you know I tell people that all the time I tell comics younger comics like back when you had to get work you know you really had to look who you wanted to get work from because you'd have to send a tape and the postage and we didn't I mean we didn't have computers now where you can just print anything out you had to go and get it printed yeah and it'd be like seven bucks and you're sitting there going wait a second you know, if you go one day if you send you to a bunch of clubs if people don't oh, know man. how I mean now it's like you can just go into LA casting or, or your agent yeah. can say hey here's an email just show up here but back then then you get the Thomas guide you couldn't find the directions oh my god the Thomas guide yeah it's crazy I would spend maybe six or seven hours total in my car every day of my first pilot season driving around picking up scripts in Hollywood because they couldn't be emailed to me what part of the city were you in I was in Glendale okay because I was falling asleep on the freeway every day I had clothes all the costumes for all the auditions strewn about my car and food and I was putting makeup on and I was changing my clothes in the restrooms every everywhere around town and it was really hectic to be in your 20s you know that's when all the the action comes is for the 20 year olds Um, but what's interesting about the fact that now there's the internet in our career now we're competing with actors all over the world right Um, you know things have changed so much I was just competing with those who could manage to get out to LA or put themselves on tape in Chicago or New York or, or luckily get flown out for auditions now you know I think last pilot season, the pilot season before, I was getting told by casting directors before I even opened my mouth, well, they're looking for either Irish, South African, um, English. They're looking for some international actor to fill this role, even though it's the part of an American because it's sexy and flashy to have an accent during right. interviews. And, then, <laughs> like, and, and they probably can Skype and audition. Exactly. I mean, exactly. So now like- the pool is worldwide. It's crazy. It's, it's nuts. crazy. Yeah. So so you you get out here. You're doing the pilot season now. Yeah. Now when do you decide? To, did you book anything in your pilot season? I did. Okay. Uh, or, uh, wait. Okay. First? Yes. The only thing I booked was a um, Star Trek Next Generation, um, but I tested for a pilot called Sliders, and um, the one of the casting directors I met uh, was Gilda Stratton. Um, phenomenal actress. Her father was Gil Stratton. Um, you know, all, what's great about LA is you you meet pedigrees of people, amazing, generations of actors and people in show business. It's so fun. Um, so Gilda had cast one of the pilots I had auditioned for my first pilot season, and um, she called me when I went back to Chicago for an audition for Caroline in the City, and uh, or pardon me for Muscle, a show called Muscle, which was on the first year that the WB was a network that is no longer. Uh, Oh my God, I'm so old. Uh, And she, you know, I put myself on tape for three different roles in this show called Muscle. And you got Bronwyn. I don't know anyone named Bronwyn. I don't know anyone. I know. I know millions of people. I don't know no one named Bronwyn. I think I've met one Bronwyn in my life. It sounds like a last name. 
Yeah, yeah. It's a beautiful name, actually. I so like that. You got that. Well, the audition process for that was really trippy. Uh, I put three different roles on tape, and they called me back for all three roles. Um, like a rich, uh, a rich and entitled sort of prissy woman, an earthy massage therapist, and the lesbian anchor woman. And, you know, I had multiple costumes and everything. And they flew me out, and it was the first... Uh, no, it was the second time I'd been out here, and they flew me out, and I, I tested for all three roles, and so, you know, I was changing costumes during the test, and for those who don't know, a test is when they've narrowed it down to just a few people, the network is there, the studio is there, um, you sign your contracts, it's very high pressure, and I remember coming in and out of that room going, I, I probably am not going to get out of any of these roles, right. so it was, it was really quite an, a harrowing experience, you know. But you got one. But thank God I got one. So how did that must have made you feel great? I mean, it was the one of the highlights of my life. Um, other than having a baby or getting married, that was it. You know, I I knew I could quit my my waitressing job. I knew I could move to L.A. I knew I could. I knew I was going to make a career at this. So you get in that, and how long does it last? It lasts uh, thirteen episodes. Okay. It was picked up for a second season, but back in the nineties, our producers Whit Thomas were had a string of successes behind them, Soap and Golden Girls. Um, they wanted to pick us up for another thirteen, and Whit Thomas said, "No, if you're not picking us up for a full season, screw you." Which and you're going. <laughs> Which they would do today I know they'd be like 13 thank you so much it's not two and canceled you know it's not you know so so the show gets canceled so then then you must go through a little bit of depression uh no 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 times people say because you're on a show and then it gets canceled I was so young and so grateful I, I, I had paid off my student loans it was a victory and months after that that's how I met Gilda Stratton. Gilda Stratton cast me in Muscle, and she called me in for Caroline in the City. Um, and so got Caroline, you know, shortly after that. So I just thought that's how it worked. You go from one television right. show to the other. And luckily, I have been a regular on seven shows. So it's, you know, knock on wood. Let's hope that keeps going. Well, what's weird about Caroline in the City is, I mean, and I could think is when they pitched it, you know, a, a female cartoonist in New York... Back then, I'm surprised they even made it. I mean, now I can see it getting done, and it was it, it was a. Why great were you too. surprised they even made it? Because they don't. It's like back then, like people in the Midwest and some of these, not against all the Midwest people. I love the Midwest, but a lot of them could. First of all, back then, everyone was so misogynistic. Yes. Well, and, at least they still are. Yeah, but I mean, it was misogynistic, and it's like I could just see people going, "Oh, we're not going to watch a show about a." Uh, girl first of all in new york because so many people i mean even when seinfeld was on the first year people like oh a, a comic in new york and i think i just i don't know i just think i was surprised hmm. i mean it was guy watched it because every guy we, we all had a crush on leah thompson yeah, yeah man everyone i mean she was like and, and she's still a hottie let me and tell you i'll tell you and people if you watch john hughes movies she's in some kind of wonderful which yeah. is one of his best movies that hardly anybody knows i talk to people right. i'm like it's it's with her and mary stewart masterson i believe and eric stoltz and i tell people it's such a great movie but no one's like well we know I mean, they should know breakfast club but it's just crazy so but so yeah carolyn but carolyn city hit and you played annie spadaro yeah you were, that was you were a dancer right yeah i played a dancer in cats and um i myself had no broadway experience uh and just was going with the dancing that I had done as a teenager. But, um, you know, at first, I think Annie Spadaro was written as a as a resale shop. She just had like a retail job. Uh, but Marco Panette, a huge lover of Broadway, um, 
and Fred Barron, who created the show, um, they, I think Marco's love, greatest love is Broadway. And so he wanted to make her a dancer in Cats. And that it was such a great idea. It was so fun to, you know, we flew out the, uh, the makeup artist on the show. And on occasion, I would be in costume, full costume. And um, it was it was great. I got to do so many physical, you know, traditional slapstick comedy, physical comedy um, things. But also the writing was really smart. It it holds up. I hadn't seen the show. I'm, what was this, like tw- well, almost yeah, 20 years yeah, ago or I mean, something? And it's I had 95 to 2000. So basically when it started, it was yeah, 20 years ago. Yeah. And I hadn't seen the show. Certainly I don't sit around, you know, watching that stuff. But I was I needed to update a lot of the material in my reel. And I wanted to digitize everything that I had done. And I watched the series again, and I, I, it's it's no wonder TV Land right now is been is reinvigorating new audiences with classic sitcom artists and classic that that whole classic style of sitcoms because Caroline in the City was was I think very underrated. It showed it, it showed such uh, an enjoyable. Um, 96 episodes to people it was great it was it was a really good show and as you said it became number two which you know it's so funny i you know when you started as a little kid dancing i mean i'm sure you never thought i mean you want i'm sure you never sat there and went oh my god i'm gonna be the number two show in america and i know you got nominated for a screen actors Award. i did yeah okay. and um that just must be amazing because you know and once again it's changed now but you know sitcoms are different but for screen actors guild you know sitcoms don't always really get the respect. And for me, comedic actors and from having a background in comedy, that's one of the hardest things. And with physical comedy, it's like, to me, I always think, and he may not be physical, but his expression is David Hyde Pierce is just, <laughs> he's amazing. He's like that, that Jack Benny-esque, which Jack Benny Jack was so Benny-esque, physical. Jack Benny-esque, yeah. Because Jack Benny could just put his hand on his shoulder and not talk and get laughs. And if that's not physical, there's nothing that's physical. Yeah. Yeah, David Hyde Pierce was on Caroline in the City in one of the more memorable episodes. He played my accountant who had a deep passion for Broadway and wanted to be in Cats and audition for it. And my God, that started his Broadway career because of that episode. He had to do a song and dance and he had never sung or danced. Really? <laughs> and, he, and, you know, we were, we used to rehearse like we were in Summerstock Theater opening a play in a week. Uh, the cast would often spend hours after rehearsal was over. We'd go home and try to... Um, fashion jokes towards some physical bit we had come up with during the evening while we were eating dinner or you know just before we go to bed we constantly brought in fresh um fresh ideas uh because other than myself no one had been on a sitcom before leah had been a movie star um but we all really wanted to have the best possible time we could have and make it as crisp and clean as possible it was a lot of fun. Well, so you said when you went back to Milwaukee, everyone was like grabbing at you. But and out here, everyone's. I mean, how does someone handle that? Because as you know, I had a guest on who was in uh, was in Knots Landing, and back then Knots Landing was like number thirteen. Oh, but but yeah. then, but what, 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 I think it was Knots Landing, one of them. But it was like number thirteen. But even then, thirteen was millions of watchers. Right. For you, there's millions of watchers. How does that? I mean, and you you really have. I mean, it's not as bad. Like now, you can't do anything without people snapping your picture because of phones and all that and TMZ. But was it was it overwhelming yeah. at times? I, mean, I think it depends for the for the actor who who is lucky enough to have that experience. I think it depends on their their childhood, how they were raised, how they deal with people, how they were socialized. Um, and you know, I I I guess I 
I'll be completely honest and say I had a pretty rough childhood and I had a lot of fear and anxiety. As I said, I was totally introverted. I didn't talk to a lot of people. So for me, it definitely affected my nervous system. I felt like fight or flight and I was a little panicky. And my friends now who are extremely famous and extremely popular, they speak about that aspect of fame as being certainly... Uh, some of them have, you know, even forgotten that their lives are so great and have called it a nightmare, called it, you know, not only is it a constant invasion of their privacy, but it makes them paranoid. It makes them sort of overreact to things. Um, and for me, it wasn't that long lived. You know, it's not like people are grabbing at me today. Right. It was a brief moment in time for a few years there. And, um, and so it was something that I had to make quick decisions about how I was going to handle. And I took my cues from Leah Thompson. She was the only example of fame that I had right there. And we remain best friends to this day. And she set such a great tone. She, she would constantly sign autographs and smile and be grateful for the fans she had as she still is today. She, she set the tone on set. She taught me everything there is to teach an actor about how to treat the crew. Um, how to how to communicate problems if you're uncomfortable on set or you need something, how to ask for it in a respectful and professional manner. How to, how to just be a good, decent human being. Well, you have to teach the crew. It's so funny. You have to teach the crew well because I have friends who are soundmen. They do a lot They do a lot of reality now, but they've done a lot of stuff. And you never hear, every once in a while you hear about the good guy, but you always hear about the guy who's just a dick. You do. And that's, the, they don't sit there. And, and you may say, oh, you work with this guy. And they'll go, my one buddy worked with uh, Charlie Sheen. And he said he was so great. And he said, this was years ago. And he said, back then he was so nice. I'm surprised. And he said, it was, but this was, Brett Michaels directed the movie. It was years ago, but he said, Brett Michaels was from Poison. He said they were so great. But then someone talked about Dr. Phil, who said just what a, what a dick. Like, you know, he's like, we, we got to mic you up. Oh, no, no, no. And then as soon as he was, when they're ready, when he's ready, he's like, well, where's my mic? And they're like, dude, we, you know, because they don't care. They're not going to get fired. We're like going to send you home and get someone else. They, they, sound man, if you're a good sound man, you know, you're, you constantly work. You can just go slip right into reality. Like my friends jump from show to show. Oh one. yeah. The I biggest wish loser, that I one had American skills. Yeah. Skills. And they get paid well. And it's like, yeah. and, and they said, we just stand around pretty much all day. They, yeah. We don't need it. But so you, but it's funny about this, uh, the crew. Cause yeah, you always hear about the person who's a jerk. And I think it's, it's so good. Uh, I had a guest who said he was on a, uh, episode of uh, CSI, mm-hmm. and, no, NCIS, I'm sorry. And he said, I guess Mark Hollerman treats his crew so great. He said, he walked in and he said, he looked around and he said, and this guy's been acting for 35 oh, yeah, years. Yeah. No guy, no a guy who was the guest on the show. Oh. And he said, oh my God, this is like the most positive set. And he saw, and Mark Hollerman's just like, I have a blessed life, man. This is my life, my grandkids, my great grandkids are set for life. Yeah. Why can I be a dick to these people? Because yeah. they, they're what makes me look good too. I mean, if you, without the sound crew or the writers. Well, and they're your just, co-workers. Right. How do you, you know, how do you go to work, stand right next to people, have people that are touching your body and your face and taping microphones to your boobs? Right. How do you, how can you not view them as family? Because you're going to see them for more hours than you're going to see your family. Um, and why on earth would you want to piss any of those people off? It not only is it, you know, just makes you a shitty person, but anyone who comes on that set is going to feel that tension. And it does start from the top. It starts from 
on television, it starts from the lead actor for sure. If if they're a dick, <laughs> right. then yeah. then everyone Tri- is kind of screwed. Yeah. So when you were doing the Carolina City, what was like some of the best hookups you got? Like everyone says hookups, like stuff for like uh, like Bob Clendenden said. You know, once in a while he'll be in Vegas and they'll go, "Hey, we know you," and they'll give him a suite. You know, oh, I, I, nice. Did, did, is anything like that? Did any back then where people just like I, I always hear like, "Oh, you won't go out and." buy a drink or you won't I mean did stuff like that happen I, I I tried to never never utilize that but if people are actually handing me well, that's things, what I mean. um, yeah th- I at that time let's see there was a lot of like Reebok and sporting sporting goods would just give you like 10 pairs of shoes at a time and you go into the store and you just pick out anything you want and it's all free like thousands of dollars worth of free things see that's funny um, which is it always felt a little gross. Well, I, I did. I used to wait tables at Planet Hollywood, and I ended, ah. worked at the one in Beverly Hills for a little bit, and well, until it closed. And it always cracked us up because celebrities would come in and they would just comp their meal, and it's like, here's a guy making so millions, st- oh, and it's on. like, like Arnold Schwarzenegger. He would, well, he was one of the part owners. I remember I waited on a party for him. Okay, his kid's birthday party. $500 comp. Oh, thank you, Steve. Thank so what you. happens to the gratuity is my question. Well, he goes, thank you. You're so great. He gives me $20. What? And so, but they added a gratuity. But then someone like Tom Arnold comes in, his bill comp for $50 and gives me a hundred. Right. You know, so you right. sit there and you go, wow, it's like, it's just, but they get it for free. It's like, you don't need it for free. Arnold Schwarzenegger doesn't need free meals for his kids. Yeah. I, 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 I'm not in, I'm not into that. Yes. I've gone to events where they have swag and they have, they give you some free stuff. And I'm, of course I'm always like, Ooh, look at what's in the goodie bag. But I don't, I've never gone out to get free meals. I would never take the money out of someone else's pocket. I would never tip poorly. Uh, Right. But no, it was amazing. You sit there and you go, it's crazy. The last people that need it. Yeah. So after Carolina and the City is done, you must have been a little depressed because it seems like you guys had a very, you almost, you said you and Lee are still best friends. Yeah. So it, it must be like, as I hear people who are in sitcoms that are over like two years that last longer, you really become like family. Oh yeah. And we still are. I mean, we, I'm in pretty constant regular contact with the entire cast and have been for 20 years. And but, so that doesn't end. I, I was... I actually, I don't think any of us were actually very depressed when Caroline ended. Um, we, you know, as much as I can be a grateful person and and know my priorities and be a decent individual, at the time we probably, as a group, if I could speak for them, we were we were a little tired. We were like ready to play different characters after four years. Um, we were really grateful we socked all that money away and were able to buy homes and um, get a decent savings. Uh, we were grateful for the fact that we could catapult that into something else. Um, so I don't think we were really depressed. It was a very emotional last episode, of course. But I think we were all pretty positive that, yeah, this feels like a natural ending. I'm glad it's not seven years, a lot of us right. thought. I, it, it, I think it must be when you're constantly and doing the character over the years it must get a little tiresome well especially in that format um for anyone who may be tuning in for the first time in let's say season two and a half you still have to play your stock comedic um beats so that they know where you are in the in the structure of the storytelling who you are now after that you did the weber show i believe uh, was yeah. That, was, it, no, was that with Steven Weber? Well, they, they, I actually had discussed with Marco Panat the possibility of a spinoff for my, for me after Caroline in the City. And 
he pitched something and it didn't seem real fun. <laughs> I remember him saying, well, now you realize if you're the star of the show, Amy, you're not going to get the funny lines. And I stupidly said, well, then I don't want to do it. Right. <laughs> but no, I could see that, though, because it's like anything. It's like when you're the, you know, when you're the side character. A lot of times a side character doesn't translate. And that's one of the reasons. Like Kramer. Mm-hmm. Kramer's hysterical in that show. Oh my God, but you put yeah. him by himself. And if you have him not being so goofy, the crowd's not going to like it because we want Kramer. You know, and it's like for you, it's like you were sort of why, you know, you, did, we, you don't want you being serious. You know, and it's like people don't because it's your character. You yeah. Want, you know, it's like changing someone completely. It'd be like me coming in and playing complete music. I guess that's, and, that must have been why I said no. But of course, in hindsight, you're like, what an idiot. <laughs> <laughs> or the show could have got canceled. Then you would have felt awful because after like one episode, you'd have been like, I was an idiot for taking it. Well, I think what happened, what happened after Caroline and after that, I turned down that offer. I did a show called Talk to Me, where I was the star of this sitcom. And uh, Kira Sedgwick was always in, in, in the writer's mind as being the first choice. But she wasn't available. They held auditions. She cast me. Or at the time, it, it actually wasn't an audition at the time. It was an offer. She cast me and fired me after the pilot. Me and Eugene Levy. And I think one other cast member got fired. And I thought, well, as long as I'm with Eugene Levy, I'm in good company. And yeah. I don't, I don't care for, I, I actually laughed when I got that phone call. I thought, what? You're firing Eugene Levy? Let alone. <laughs> yeah, it's so funny that they do that. It's like with a pilot. I mean, and, and I I've, know. I've had guests on the show and say, you know, I was, I ended up on this pilot because, you know, I didn't get the part. And then, you know. A few days, like John Capolis yesterday said with the Breakfast Club, he thought he was going to get it. You know, John mm. Huston, but then they, but Rick Moranis got it. But Rick Moranis played the character completely different. And like four days later, they said, "John, we want to come in." It's just weird how sometimes oh, man, people yeah. get fired. But then you must now. Whatever happened to talk to me? Did it do anything? No, uh, the, actually, no. Kira Sedgwick became available. Okay. They replaced me with her. And I think it had three episodes on the air, and then I got canceled. So you're after that, and you you have. A, I mean, you've been in so many shows, which is just. I mean, it's one of those things. I mean, especially I. I never really watched a lot of TV, but my girlfriend loves TV. Like she'll watch the old episodes and everything, and that's where I get a lot of guests. I'll sit. I'll watch you. Oh, like, cool! If it's let's say it's Castle, she does a little research for but you. Yeah, I sit there. Yeah. And we'll, we'll, I'll be on the computer, and I'll see Castle, and I'll go, God, that guy looks familiar. And I always go, Honey, honey, do the info, and then she'll get the episode and I'll IMDB it and then I'll say okay I know this this actor and then I go on Facebook or Twitter and then I'll sit and go okay then I send the letter like I sent you and then sometimes I don't get responses but sometimes I do and when I get responses it's it's a great feeling it's it sounds weird but when I was a kid I collected baseball cards oh, and when you cool. get when you get great cards but for me when I get a great guest or someone I watched on TV I get really excited yeah. and it's weird because you know everyone goes dude but you have you have all these great guests I'm like yeah but to me it's like oh before you leave you have to sign the baseball I started that oh, I started okay. that in January each this year I started each get each month I get a baseball. But no, so it's like with you, your your resume is just you've worked consistently for a long time. And I know that feeling of getting to be in a room and talk with another performer or someone you've admired, you know, all the people that I've worked with over the years that I've admired or I've always been curious about, it's it is like collecting baseball cards. You're collecting these experiences with people and you never forget them. And my poor husband who's not in the industry, he's an engineer, um, you know, has had to sit through anytime we turn on the television, I'm like, Oh my god, there's my friend, there's my buddy, where we I, had dinner. Oh, I, I had a date with him. You don't want to hear about it. Yeah. <laughs> See, I did I tried it's That's so a, hard to, you know, you can't turn on the television yeah. or go Joanne's to the movie like theater. Joanne's like that, especially yeah. now with the show and, and people I just know for commercials, because I get, you know, I know a lot of guys in commercials. 
or women. I'm like, oh, I know that. And she's it's like, like going through a photo album yeah. of all the fun times it's you've really, had. Yeah, she's like, she goes, you know everybody. Like, not, you know, but I'm like, not everybody. When you watch TV, it's like, it's true. I don't think I can go through a day. If I sat and watched TV for 24 no. hours. No, oh no. I don't think I can go through a day where I didn't have a guest or a comic I did comedy with or someone in a commercial. Probably at least 10 or 15 people yeah, in a crazy. day. And that's why I'm liking my career the older I get because I've I realize I've collected all these experiences. I've I've gotten to to work either in radio doing LA Theater Works radio plays with phenomenal actors or my small amount of film work that I've done or all those, you know, 300 episodes of television or something. I mean the just guest stars that I've worked with or it's so fun. Well, no, I check it out because I check it and it's like, you know, I mean, the whole the special victims unit, a law and order, you're in that. Yeah. Which, and that show's been on forever. Yeah. But that, it's still, that, it's that still one episode, really I still get people, I, I'm still getting great residuals from that. What was your character? Were, were you a creepy oh, person? Because uh, that's the thing, that show, some of those people are just so damn creepy. But then they'll have like, you know, Rob Lowe or someone <laughs> playing that, you know, that they're just such dicks and you sit there and like Dean Kane and they're these great looking guys and you're going come on man Here guys that good looking dicks I mean well Rob Lowe I know it was it was uh John Stamos was impregnating all these ladies okay well, okay, oh, wow. well Stamos yeah okay he's you know. a charmer in yeah life. Exactly. And he's a great looking yeah. guy I'm saying that's the thing but it's just sometimes you see these characters and you, you almost feel like dirty watching the show because yeah. you're like oh my god yeah. was your character a bad character there well according to uh it was a complicated storyline and some of the characters on the in this episode thought that maybe i was a pedophile and the other but i was defending myself and it, it, they thought i molested my own daughter and it's a very long convoluted plot line like i i could barely follow it when we were shooting it but um chris maloney and i had done a movie of the week before uh years before where i was the star and he was supporting and this time i got to be on his show and work with mershka and you know it was it was a it was a great. Uh, it was a great episode to get to do a lot of crying and, you know, it was well, fun. What was it like for you? Because in the beginning, you did a lot of sitcoms. And mm-hmm. You did a lot of comedy, and then you you start to make a transition to drama. Now, it's is that kind of always been both? But have you been? Are you a fan of one more than the other? Yeah, or? I'm a fan of comedy. Okay, then what do you love about comedy, though? I mean, what what makes you just be a fan of comedy? That's a weird question, mm. but what do you sit there and go, God? I just when someone says. This role, it just that gets feels you good. Like, it, it, like Aliens in America was a project I did um, that I loved so much because it was a great combination of single single camera um, work that could be done, you know, with with some broad comedy elements to it. Um, my character was certainly based on some women I knew in real life, but um, what I love about it is that you go to work feeling happy. You you get to make jokes on set, and you get you know that the product is to to just lighten someone's load that day. If they happen to be tuning into what you've put out there, they're going to feel better at the end of the show and not worse if it's skillfully done. Of course, sometimes I'll watch a comedy and feel worse because I'll think right. that was crap. That's not funny. Um, but I don't like going to. I don't want to do procedural dramas where I'm spending sixteen hours in a dark soundstage all day. Tr- having to fight back tears call recall all these horrible experiences that that have happened in either my life or someone else's or just be so damn serious i mean part of the problem that i find when i'm doing 
uh, episodic procedurals, dramas, is that I want to laugh all day long, and you can't. you, you got to stay in the mood of these dark storylines and murders and victims. It's depressing. Right. <laughs> I have a question for you. Now, you performed in front of the you know, Carolina City and stuff like that, and the other shows are in front of a live audience. Mm-hmm. Now, in the background, when you're, when you're a stand-up, when you get a laugh, you roll with it. Right. And you keep rolling with it. Yeah, you hold. But with you, you really can't. Because you can you, in, you in, have a certain time constraint, don't you? Yeah. I mean, so how do you, how do you learn? Because it's that high. When you get that laugh, you want to milk it. I mean, I, I don't care what. I mean, I used to, when I started out doing comedy, I would milk it till it came completely silent. My friends would say, man, you have confidence in your material. You have balls. You don't, what if they hate the joke? I said, well, they're not going to hate all of them. But how does it, when you're in front of a live audience performing, because you have to be on the script. And there is time, it has to be 22 minutes. How do you cut that when you sit there and you must be sitting there going, oh, I don't want to see this next line because this line's killing. How do you, uh, uh, you know, get used adjust. to that? Well, yeah, adjust. if it's filmed in front of a live audience, you can take as long as a stand-up comedian would take for the laugh to come to an end. But al- almost. You still have to keep your through your intention and your through line going through the laugh. And that can affect your body in different ways affect your face in a jack benny kind of way you can hold a pose as long as you keep your through line going until the next line of dialogue you can hold that as long as you want um i just was watching betty white work in hot in cleveland and she is the master she's one of the masters of that where it, it it's the thought that affects you that that helps the laugh sustain itself and helps the reality of the of the play sustain itself. It's am, am I making sense? Yeah, you make sense. It's funny because right. my my friend wrote uh, and directed a commercial for Betty White, and he just said it's amazing what a master she is. She's a master. She just she goes and her whole scene when she just sat in the chair was for uh, whatever limited the the that those weird in the mall they have the vaporizers in the chairs the, the store. What? There's a what st- are you talking about? No, she was a commercial. It's a store where you go to the mall. Vaporizers. No, they, they the have like they have like the dehumidifiers and weird chairs. The limited. No. The, oh, well, the, oh. What's that sh- uh, store? Brookstone or, or something like that. Yeah. yeah okay. But got I it. think it was one of those kind of co- things. Okay. And she just sat in a chair the whole time, and he just said, she she just nails it. Like like you don't. He's like you don't even have to worry about her. No, you, you really know, don't. And she's ninety two. Yeah, that's what's years amazing. She old. just I mean he shows she just nails it and she's funny. She just sits there because she she's there. a phenomenal actress. She knows exactly what she's doing. She plays it like a violin. You know? So after Aliens in America, which was on what station? That was on the CW. Okay. You went you were in Rodney, is that was that a show? Rodney was before Aliens okay. in America. After Aliens in America was a show. If you I, do you want to go in chronological order? No, I was just wondering I just because I saw I just looked real quick because I know Rodney, I think Bob Clendendon was in Rodney. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Now Plus uh, he's done every episode of every television right. show ever created. That guy <laughs> he still does commercials. It's so funny, he's like he's in I a commercial know. like with no shirt on. Well he's one of the greatest I, I hate saying character actor because it, it, it has weird connotations. He's just one of the greatest actors around it's yeah it's so funny because i was talking to him and it's very he's i mean he went he went to an ivy league school and you know it's just he's a smart smart guy like his sat scores is like what jesus and God. he's got a sexy fine wife too let See, me well, tell you yeah. come on he should yeah. you know it's yeah. bald guys you know the girls dig us <laughs> yeah so yeah, we'll get back to your career now like lately you've been, you see you've been a lot of dramas well first of all you were in curb your enthusiasm yeah now yeah. what was that like because i know you had the audition, I'm guessing, because I think you auditioned uh-huh. everybody. I heard the audition process is very just different. Like it's it's different than anything you've been through because 
they're just like, yeah, do it. I mean, how is that? It, yeah, it, it was a, it was strange because I remember auditioning for the part of Larry's wife for the pilot. Okay. And uh, that was one of the weirdest auditions I ever had. Uh, unnerving. What happened? Scary. I'm, I'm a huge fan of his. What happened? Me too. I am a huge fan of his. And I don't think I, I appreciated everything he did until the show was well into its um well into its success but anyway the audition to play his wife i i also have an improv background in chicago and i you know at that acting conservatory i went to at depaul we studied improv you know three hours a day three three days a week and but it was a different kind of improv it wasn't like groundlings it wasn't clever haha it was circumstantial and um and so when i got in the room larry's picked a fight with me like a genuine fight. I was told there was a loose situation that we were going to a party that night, but then he started picking on me and screaming at me. And I didn't know if this was fake or real. And I thought, well, let's stick to the circumstances of the scene. So I'm talking about, you know, we're getting ready and we're in our like big closet or I'm putting on makeup or something and I'm, I'm doing this and he's finally he turns to me and then it wasn't going very well. Like he wasn't working with me very well. I wasn't working with him. We weren't in a groove. We were just sort of in separate scenes. And finally he lost it. Like his typical like, what are you doing? What a-? That turned into... A huge blow up and he screamed at me and he said do you want this job or not and I was like yes I fucking want this job of course I fucking want this job so he was really trying to instigate me but I ended up not getting the job so I was worried when I auditioned for that episode that maybe he would remember and maybe have a bad taste in his mouth or something but he couldn't have been a more kind complimentary guy um, Jeff Garland was like, hey, I auditioned to play your brother on Caroline in the City. I love you. You know, they were very loving, very kind. And Larry is not creepy at all in oh, real no. life. Oh, not at all. No, he's, I mean. He's I'm, super creepy on the show. Well, he's, you know, I, it's so funny. And I hate to say, some of my friends always say, oh, well, you know, you're, you're sort of like him but without all the money. <laughs> like on, on this character. Because I, I bitch. See, I don't, I don't think he's creepy. I think for him it's. Yeah, creepy. I didn't actually. I creepy said, is but, the wrong word. I, I, don't, I think he just makes his point and sometimes he may may overdo it but I think he does a lot of things like there was an episode where this lady kept taste sampling all the ice creams I was like, just looking at that episode really, the other so day good. and he's like oh oh the vanilla And but that's what you think it's like me when I go to shopping and the 15 items or less and someone is like 45 items and I bitch I'm like sitting there and I'll make comments of you know how to count, or, and I'll go up to the well, manager. Well, he speaks his subtext, right? And that's what that's what I think. So I think I think that's great about him. Now, how did you like working him with this this episode you were on? Um, wonderful. He, I was terrified that I would not be able to do this style very well because of that experience I had at the audition, realizing that our improv styles were so different. Um, but he was really, really wonderful. He just allowed me to do whatever I wanted. And then I was told by him or Jeff Garland, keep this, throw that out. Here's what we really want to focus on. I want you to say that line that you made up. Bring that one back in during the second take. And, uh, and great. You know, it was, it was easy. It was, it was easy. Now, The Office, I see, it's, is, were you a voice in that or were you a character in The Office? I was a character in that. Okay, because it, it says, says, one, one says, says voice. Uh, the first one says voice. Oh, there was one episode where I only was on the telephone, okay. um, but there were four others in which I played um, his 
his girlfriend. Now, did you was that how was that set like? Because it was heaven. It was because well, Kate Flan- <laughs> Kate Flannery was on the yeah. show. Yeah, yeah. She's I know a Philly. She's a Philly girl. Yeah, she's Chicago. Yeah. And uh, she just said, well, same thing. What you said, you know, when you get that first show. I mean, she didn't know how many episodes was gonna get picked up for, it. and then finally, she was still waiting tables on the first season of The Office. Wow, which is crazy. But how was that? Because you're in the show. That's I mean, at the time, I mean, The Office blew up. I mean, the beginning yeah. was slow, but then it just became, and Steve Carell became, Cult you know, status, the yeah. thing, you know, and then James Spader, who's a tremendous actor, was on it. What was it like going on that set? Because it must have been, they must have been very close because they were together for so long. That was the most creative experience of my entire career, absolutely, in terms, for television. Um, it uh, it was like a repertory theater company in front of the camera because half the cast members are writers and directors of the show as well. So, when one cast member was directing that episode or had written that episode, the others would gather around the monitor or be, you know, in the scenes and would suggest new endings, new beginnings, different camera angles. Um, it was it was so unbelievably collaborative for them. And I can imagine for them as core cast members, those six to eight that wrote, directed, and acted in it, that it was the you know the pinnacle of creativity. So it was incredibly inspiring. I was very quiet my first couple episodes. I just mostly observed and soaked in all the the fun and the genius that I was surrounded by. And then I got a little more comfortable and started adding adding to the process uh, later on and when I was done with my final episode on that show I was like in tears in the parking lot going I'll never have an experience like this again do you enjoy adding to the process do you I mean do you, oh yeah do you, do you feel or sometimes, sometimes you worry that oh well my idea might not be good I mean, oh I'm terribly insecure I mean that's why I was silent practically for the first two episodes I was on there I, I just wanted to make sure that I didn't step on any toes that I didn't overstep my boundaries that I didn't um, uh, slow down the process. Basically, that's I think that's all of our fear when we're hired as guest cast. Um, we don't want to get in the way. We don't want to stick out. Uh, we want to blend in. And when we're hired as regulars, you know, we want we want to stick out. So it's been a really interesting back and forth for me to go from being you know guest guest spot after guest spot, trying to blend in and not ruffle any feathers, and then being the regular on a series where I'm like, give me more, right, right, right. more for me. <laughs> it's all about me. Well, it's funny about your guest spots because three shows I'm going to mention right now, like my girlfriend loves. She loves necessary roughness. Oh, necessary. Right. No, written by uh, a friend of mine too. And yeah, she loves that show, and I, I'm I'm a fan of Callie Thorne. I mean, back when she was on Rescue Me. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, and then you're in a mentalist, sweet girl. Yeah, which yeah. Uh, and then Dexter. Yeah, which your character, Doctor Cooper. See, if I was a doctor, that would have been my name. <laughs> <laughs> but I'm right. I'm far from a doctor. <laughs> That's right. But what's like the met, uh, Dexter? What episode was that? It was a finale. Okay, so what's what's that like? Because everybody, you know, everyone who's a Dexter fan is watching that. And the problem now, and what sucks about TV sometimes is, if the finale, some people love, some people hate. But what I hate about it is, everyone bitches about the finale instead of embracing all the, like Breaking Bad, the finale happened to be a great finale. Oh my God, yeah. And I, I, Best finally, series I just ever got caught up. Yeah, and I just got caught up to it. And, but what's that like? Because you're, you're part of, you know, I mean, it's pop I was culture. Com- I was completely invisible and unnecessary to anyone's existence during that week of shooting. But what's I it was like a- <laughs> to be on like the last, the last, because uh, you've been through when the last episode of Caroline in the City. Now you're through the last episode of a show. Yeah. What's the, is the feeling down? Like you guys said in Caroline in the City, you're all, you're all ready to go. I, you know, for, for, 
for for I can't speak to what that was like for them. Um, I have been on the last episode, and the first thing I said to the director when I got on set because basically these actors were concentrating on so many other things than working with me. I was a pawn, I was a cog in the wheel and really didn't chit chat at all with any of the actors, barely spoke to any of the other actors. I spoke to the director and I said, I said, this is, you know, I can imagine what an intense week this is for everyone, especially when you think of the fact that their lead character was married and divorced to the other lead character, went through cancer, spent all these years, yeah. all these experiences. My <laughs> God, to end that reign must have been more than intense for all of them. So, yeah, I, I could I could really relate to, to it to a certain degree, but I was ending a four-year comedy, not an, how, how many years? Eight? Six? Yeah, I guess seven? eight on its... You know, twice as long for Dexter and twice as intense, or but three he, or four times as intense. But Caroline in the City had just as many episodes because Dexter always did those like twelve oh, season, right. epi- which always pisses me off when there's like twelve. Yeah, episodes. but come on, yeah. that's like apples know, and oranges. <laughs> we we have a few minutes left. What, what what can we see from you coming up sooner? You're getting out your audition. Is there is there any yeah. pilot that's really have, has caught in your that you're really excited about? And are you doing yeah. both comedy and drama? Or, or I'm doing just... comedy and drama. What's really cool is that I get, you know, one of the projects I love and I'm, I'm these are pro- the projects I'm about to talk about. I have not been cast in. So okay, I'm, just, I'm just talking about my experience of auditioning. Um, one of them is a, is a drug addict hooker. One of them is a woman in 1943 who is like the epitome of the perfect housewife. One of them is sort of a dangerous liaison Glenn Close character. Um, the, I get to audition for a lot of different types. I'm a character actress. Isn't that great though? I, I yeah. always think that's such. It must be such a good feeling because, like, for me, when I go on auditions, I've noticed it's like, you know creepy guy or, or, or like but today it was for a Facebook thing and tomorrow's for a spokesman for a college but usually you know I'm going to be either a lawyer type or that but for you and you you know you can play someone from 1943 or something that must just be a great feeling I mean when you see like an audition you're reading for it must be like like when you're a kid getting your Easter basket because you're like oh my god and I'm sure sometimes you go oh, screw this I don't want to do this but then sometimes you're like oh my god I could really look forward to that it must be great it must be very invigorating for I've you I've always been the kind of actor who responds to the role more than anything um, you know if if the sh- certainly we all want to be involved with projects that are going to be picked up in terms of television or things that will be successful but primarily if the role is fun for me to play I don't care where it is or what's going on or what the other circumstances are because that's that's really all I care about. I want to have fun playing the role. Well, hopefully we'll see you in something. Hopefully you hopefully will. Hopefully you'll be a lead in the series and I can say, me and my girlfriend will watch and I'll go, hey, she was on Cooper Talk. And my yeah. girlfriend will say, shut up. <laughs> and we want to thank you for coming on. Thank you, Steve. Now, how can people get in touch with you? Did You, you don't have a Twitter at all. You do I do, Amy well, Pete's on Twitter. In I, fact, I, yeah, I need some followers. Spell, spell your name so people okay. know. Okay, is yeah, Pete's is weird. And even Amy in L.A. is weird. You know, Amy is A M I E M A A A M E. I mean, it's crazy. True, it's uh, A M Y is Amy, the, the traditional, and then Pete's is spelled P is in Peter I E T Z at Twitter. Yeah. So thank you again. It was thank great you. to talk to you. And uh, people, you can follow me at Cooper Talk at Cooper Talk. I'm always tweeting there. 
Also, uh, comedy-wise, this Saturday uh, at JR's Comedy Club in Valencia, 9 o'clock show, I'm working with a very good friend of mine and one of, honestly, if you follow comedy for the last 25 years, one of the funniest headliners ever to work. His name is Rich Scheidner. He's a fellow South Jersey guy. Yes, if you want to come see a great show, he will, I'll do okay. He'll he'll just destroy it. Also, starting next Tuesday, every Tuesday, it's Crappy Comedy hosted by me at the Playa Azul Bar. That's in uh, Burbank, right on San Fernando Road between Grizz and Amherst. It's an old dive bar they're redoing. I have a great bunch of acts coming in. That's at uh, starts at 10 o'clock. There's no cover. There's $3 beers. So come out to that. Also, uh, email me, cooper at indie100, indie100.com. I'd love to hear what you're thinking and what's going on. Uh, Stitcher Radio, iTunes, blah, blah, blah. You know the deal. Cooper Talk, one one word. Also, you can get Anderson Cooper stuff, even though the show's not on anymore. Also, my website is coopertalk.net. Coopertalk.net. Check it out. I have about 200 episodes up there. And next week, a very funny character actor named Peter Gardner and the uh, the ice skater, Ty Babylonia, will be my guests. So check it out. Uh, remember, drink your water, eat your vegetables, take your vitamins. I'm Steve Cooper. I'm only as hip as my guests. You guys have a great weekend and don't drink and drive. Awesome.